Well, let's pray as we get started. Today we are starting a brand new series. We're in the book of Acts, so I want to invite you to start making your way to the book of Acts, and we'll pray to get started. God, we thank you so much. I thank you so much uh, just for the blessings that we have, the breath in our lungs. God, even in a, a season in life where many of us are experiencing things we've never experienced before, maybe anxiety that we've never experienced, maybe some depression we've never experienced, Maybe some fears that seem uncharacteristic. Lord, we're all going through all these different things. And so, Lord, even in those valleys, we thank you that you are present. We thank you that you do not leave us alone. And God, I thank you that when we're going through tough things, that doesn't mean this is the end. That you are at work in our lives. And you have something for us to learn. You have something, some things for us to grow in. And God, you have a life available to us and to our friends. So Lord, would you make your presence very known to us today? We know you're here. We want to sense your presence. And Lord, for those who are experiencing maybe that extra measure of anxiety or fear, depression, worry, whatever those are, Lord, would you meet them in that place right now? In the doubt, would you meet us? In the frustration, would you meet us? And God, in the joys... And the good things, we thank you, and would you meet us there too. So we give you this all to you now, Lord, and as we look into the book of Acts and start a new series, God, may this be one where we see a bigger picture of who you are and what you've been up to for so long. Encourage our hearts now, in Jesus' name, amen. Imagine what it must have been like to be a follower of Jesus. What would it have been like to be one of those first disciples? where you're walking with him throughout Galilee, throughout the nation of Israel, where you're listening to his teaching, this new kind of teaching, kind of a revolutionary way of looking at things. Imagine what it would have been like if you see him perform miracles. In the midst of some of your great fear, he calms the storm when you are out on the sea and wondering if you'll make it through. I kind of think that in those three or so years that he spent with them, there had to have been some great nights around the campfire. What would that have been like? Telling stories with Jesus. Maybe fishing stories. Maybe nights where there was those folklore, urban legends told to scare the ones around you. See, Jesus was very real and very present with them. And so that experience, what would that have been like to have your leader and his presence giving you strength all that time, giving you wisdom when you need it? And when you did something stupid, he was there to give you grace and to walk you through it. And then imagine what it would have been like when he was handed over and crucified, laid in the tomb. Even though he told his followers this would happen, we see them scatter. They run. They hide. They say, we don't know what to do. Our leader is gone. And then imagine the joy that happened on that third morning when he appears. He's back, just like he said he would. Imagine that joy. 
and the overwhelming sense that things are okay. It's going to be okay. And we know for a period of about 40 days or so, he was with them. Once again, walking with them. We see him eating meals together. Perhaps sitting around the campfire again, telling stories about, oh, remember the time when I was crucified and you guys all ran and left me? Yeah, you remember that? (laughs) But you remember when I came back? So for six weeks, they were with him again and everything was okay because he was there. And then imagine what it would have been like when he left them again. This time for good. See, when we look at the book of Acts, this is a story of what happens. It's the history of the church, of the first Christians, after Jesus left. And it's the history of what they did as they stood around saying, our leader is gone, and now what is next? So we're going to embark on this series through the book of Acts, and it's a pretty long series, so we'll, we'll break it up as we go, but it's, for me, one of my favorite books in the Bible, because it's a story of what happened when their leader left, and why did he do that? And it's a story that we're actually still a part of today. See, this is chapter one of what we're living This is not something that ends at the end of the book of Acts and then we say, okay, the history of the church is over. No, this is the beginning of our story. I even think in a season that we're in with with coronavirus and an election year and all kinds of great things as we're recreating and, and coming out as a church with some new vision and new ideas and things will be different. I think what a great time to look at what it was like for the church emerging out of a season of turmoil. So there's a few things as we go through this morning. Today is mostly intro. We're going to be in the first chapter. But as we get to it, I I just want to give you some background. First of all, the book of Acts is written by an author named Luke. The name may be familiar to you because he wrote another book, and it's named after himself, called the Book of Luke, creatively titled. One of the gospel accounts, one of the stories uh, or the histories of Jesus and his life. So Luke wrote that and he wrote the book of Acts as this part two of his historical document. The book of Acts and the book of Luke are about the same length. Most scholars agree that it's probably because it was the size of the parchment that they used. Often in the ancient world, the length of a book you wouldn't have a, a multiple parchments necessarily, so you get to the end of it and you got to fit it in. So the book of Luke and Acts are, are written in a very similar style, very similar length. They're written, we think, sometime, as far as when it was written, we don't really know. Some scholars argue that it was kind of late first century, but many believe that it was before AD 70. That's the year that Jerusalem was destroyed. There's no mention of that in the book of Acts. The book of Acts ends and Paul is still alive. We're quite certain Paul was martyred under Emperor Nero, probably somewhere around in the mid-60s of the first century. So you can make a logical argument that was written before the destruction of Jerusalem. Otherwise, Luke would likely have mentioned it. Now, the writing of it, though, the date of when it was written, is really less significant than the content that we find. And there's a few big themes that Luke brings out 
uh, throughout the book of Acts. There's four I want to just let you know about. We're not going to dive too deep on them. But the four themes that we'll see here, the content of the book of Acts is, one of the things is you have the message of Christianity. And the message that Luke emphasizes is the resurrection and the exaltation of Jesus. They're at the center of all the sermons and preaching. And in the book of Acts, about 25% of the entire book are sermons and preaching that was given. So in 25% of the book, we have speeches given to various leaders, sometimes to a Jewish audience, sometimes to a Roman audience, sometimes we have it to artisans and farmers. We, We have it all over the place. But always central to the message is is the resurrection of Jesus and the exaltation of Jesus. And that was significant because it confirmed who he was and his message. Luke often focuses on the the works of Jesus were the fulfillment of the Hebrew scriptures. So even an audience who maybe was unfamiliar with the Hebrew scriptures, they often would tie it to this and say, listen, this has been God's plan and story all along. So we have the message of Christianity as a major content. The other one is this, the blessings found in Christianity. And these are the blessings that are associated with salvation. And and it's in twofold. We see this over and over again in the book of Acts. The blessings we have as Christians, once we receive the message of Jesus, is the forgiveness of sins. That's a great blessing, amen? It's a good one. And the other one is this, the blessing of the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, the forgiveness of sins and the, the gift given to us of the Holy Spirit, which we'll look at today, that's a major content that we have throughout the book of Acts. Number three, so we have the message of Christianity, we have the blessings of Christianity. Uh, the other th- content theme we see is the growth of Christianity. So Luke talks, and, and the book of Acts gives a story of the triumphant progress of the message of Jesus in the face of opposition. It comes up over and over and over again through the book of Acts that there's opposition, there's things that we would look at and say, this has got to be the end. There's no way the gospel can, the progress, the message of Jesus can make it through this, and yet the growth of Christianity continues. And it starts in Jerusalem, it expands out, and it it really is, the book of Acts is in three parts, first focusing on the book of, uh, sorry, uh, Jerusalem area. And then to Judea, Samaria, which is an extension. Often they're still in the uh, Jewish borders, and, and there's greater diversity with the Samaritans. And then to the ends of the earth, and the book of Acts shows that growth. So we have the message of Christianity, the blessings of Christianity, the growth. And then the other one is the inclusivity of Christianity is a major theme of the book of Acts. We see how... In fulfillment of the prophecies and of scripture that now this message was not just for a Jewish audience, but it went went to the Gentiles, which included the ends of the earth. What it meant was this message is no longer simply for the nation of Israel. It's no longer centered in the temple. It's no longer only for worship that happens in Jerusalem, but this is for all people to the ends of the earth. And we see this inclusion of the Gentiles and the growth of Christianity among the Gentiles is a major theme through the book of Acts. We also see the inclusivity of for the first time really in ancient history where men and women were working together as a part of this message. Christianity in Jesus broke down all the walls that divided people. And so we see that theme that will pop up over and over and over again. So let's look at some of the content of chapter one to start off for today. 
And I think in chapter one, we see a little bit of the heart of, to answer why did Luke decide to write this? Because as I think about this, I think, man, that's a pretty big task. And I don't know if you've ever thought about it. Why did certain authors decide to do the work to write these books that now are part of our Bible? Because when they wrote it, they weren't writing it saying like, you know what I'm going to do today? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write some Bible for everyone. <laughs> I mean, what would that have been like? But we find Luke, uh, if, what I want to focus on today is just a few ideas of what his purpose in actually can in communicating all this information is why did he write this? So we're going to start off to understand that. And actually, we're going to start out in Luke chapter 1, not Acts chapter 1. So in Luke chapter 1, just two books to your left, Luke is writing and he writes this. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, just as they're handed down to us by those from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, It seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write it out for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the exact truth about the things you've been taught. So the book of Luke starts off, and he says, we've heard this message of Jesus, and so I decided, as we've been hearing so much about him, and and, and we believe in in the, the story, that I would take it among myself upon myself to investigate these matters and look at this to talk to eyewitnesses and servants of the word so Luke is writing in a time when the disciples are still alive and not just maybe the original disciples of Jesus but the earliest followers the ones who saw him who heard his teachings who saw him crucified and saw him afterwards Luke took time to talk to them wouldn't that be amazing wouldn't it be amazing to talk to a whole bunch of people who actually walked with Jesus, saw him, saw him after the resurrection, and say, okay, help, tell me the stories. Let's put this all together. What would that have been like? So Luke decides he's going to do this. Now, he does it for this guy named the, the most excellent Theophilus. So likely what we have here is the patron or someone who is paying for this. His name probably is Theophilus, saying, hey, why don't you put together an account? We believe this truth but I want to hear all the details. So Luke decides he will do a thorough investigation, talk to eyewitnesses, compare notes, and he would write an account. And in the book of Luke is the works and words of Jesus. The book of Acts are the works of the church that confirm the works and words of Jesus. So he starts off with this. Now, I want you to notice verse four here in Luke chapter one. Because he gives us a little bit of the first idea of what I think this is why he wanted to write it. He wanted to write it so that Theophilus, and, I, and by argument, all other Christians, may know the exact truth about the things which we believe. In other words, the first idea here is Luke is writing this is to confirm the faith of the believers. He wanted to confirm and strengthen the faith of the believers. He wanted to make sure that was written down and handed down to other generations. He wanted to make sure people would understand this truth and that it wasn't just a bunch of crazy tales that they heard. It wasn't another part of mythology or, or, or one of the Roman gods or Greek gods that they're speaking about. But this is something that people lived and experienced and, and it's Jesus who they saw and they touched and they ate food with him. So he wanted them, he wanted to confirm the faith of the believers. That's the first idea we see here. Now let's go over to Acts chapter 1. 
So he starts the book of Acts that way, now the book, or the book of Luke that way. Now the book of Acts he starts, and you can see how it's a continuation of the same thought. He says, the first account I composed, Theophilus, somehow he's no longer the excellent Theophilus, but that's okay. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven after he had the Holy Spirit given, after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs appearing to them for over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. So you see this again. Luke is concerned about strengthening and confirming the faith of Christians. He, he said, hey, Jesus, when he came back after his resurrection, he appeared to them with many convincing proofs. It wasn't something that you'd say like, ah, you know what, we thought we saw him, or we saw this appearance or this image of him. We saw kind of this hologram idea of him. No, it was many convincing proofs. And what are those convincing proofs? I'm not sure what they all were, but we see stories of Jesus eating with them. If you were to rise from the dead and someone would say like, are you a ghost or are you a real? You know one of the best ways to confirm that you're there in flesh? Go ahead and have a fish dinner with them. And so there was oftentimes, whatever Luke is referring to, he's saying over a period of 40 days, there was many convincing proofs. Now, I think this is significant because we're talking about someone who lived in the first century, Luke, who talked to the eyewitnesses, someone who we saw even spent some time traveling with Paul. So he's, it's not like he's super far removed. He heard the stories. He looked at the scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures, started measuring it all up. He said, wow, this is some convincing proof. Now, if he had not talked to anyone and he wrote this 1,000 or 2,000 years later, we'd say, this is great. This is what we call apologetics. That's good, a good argument. But this is someone who talked to the people who were there. That's, that should bear a little bit more weight for all of us. And he wrote this, and not only did he write it, if this was all a farce when he wrote this. His contemporaries would say, Luke, you're making all of this up. It wouldn't have made it. It wouldn't have stood the test of time. But with many convincing proofs, Jesus appeared and, and Luke records them, and so he wants to confirm and the faith of the believers. What's the next thing we see here? The next part of why, I see, or why he wrote this is he wanted to demonstrate the application of Jesus' words and deeds. Or he wanted to demonstrate or tell us what was the mission of the church. Let's continue to read. Verse 4 of Acts chapter 1, he says, Jesus was gathering them together. He commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father promised, which he said, you heard from me, for John, the or for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And actually that was same thing was recorded in Luke chapter 3, verse 16, where John the Baptist said, I baptize you with water, but here comes one who will baptize you. His baptism is going to be much greater. And so here Jesus is saying, I will baptize you with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? So Been, he's been with them now. We see maybe this is near the end of those 40 days. And the question that's still on their mind is, okay, are, now you, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? That represented their belief here. Their view was 
pretty soon the kingdom of Israel, Israel will be restored. You're our Messiah. That means the Romans will be done. They'll be conquered. Is it, is it now? Is this it? Once and for all that we, you, you can enact your lordship and we can, we can be done with all this? Is it, is it now? And Jesus said to them, it's not for you to know the times or epochs in which the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you, and you will be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You catch that wonderful conversation? Lord, is it now that you are going to restore your kingdom? Is it now that we get to see everything we've been waiting for? And look at this great answer. It's not for you to know, but you'll receive the Holy Spirit. Those don't seem very connected. What Jesus is saying, quit focusing on the the, the wrong things. That's not what we're talking about. Here's what we're talking about. You will receive power from the Holy Spirit and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth, to the ends of the earth. So one of the reasons that Luke wrote the book of Acts was to demonstrate how Jesus' words and deeds were, be, were going to be applied or to show the mission of the church, which starts right here. You will be my witnesses. And it's not just for us here in Jerusalem, but it's to the ends of the earth. In some ways, you can think of it this way, as the gospel gives, the gospels, uh, accounts gave facts about the ministry of Jesus, but the book of Acts explains and corroborates and confirms those events. Throughout the book of Acts, we're not looking at these today, but we even have Luke includes different progress reports, six different times that are connected to the three different parts. He gives progress of how the mission's going. For example, in in Acts chapter 2, verse 47, it says, Day by day the church was meeting together. They were praising God, having favor with all the people, and the Lord was adding to their number every day those who were being saved. uh, I'm not giving you all the progress reports today, but in the second part of the book, in nine chapter, or chapter 9, verse 31, one of the other progress reports, says the church throughout all of Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace, being built up. It was going on in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. The church continued to increase. In chapter 19, verse 20, it says the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing, speaking in the ends of the earth. So at different times, Luke wants us to be reminded that this is about the mission of the church. The message of Jesus is going to go to the ends of the earth, and we see it happen. There's one other thing that Luke emphasizes, and I think this is why he And this is the idea that we see at the end of this, where Jesus says in verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you to be my witnesses. So the the third idea for this morning is why he wrote it was to explain the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. Throughout the book of Acts, we see that the Christians were empowered by the Holy Spirit, that we were not left alone. That the mission would not be accomplished in our own power, but by the power of God. Let's continue reading in verse 9 says this, after Jesus said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. 
And as they were gazing intently into the sky, while he was going, behold, two men in white clothes stood beside them. And they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who'd been taken up from you into heaven will come just the same way you've watched him go into heaven. Now, I'm not gonna, we're not going to get into all the details of the ascension and what does that really look like. And we often call this the ascension of Jesus. There's a church, there's actually multiple churches in Jerusalem. Each denomination has to have their own ascension church as the place where Jesus ascended into heaven. And so there's a lot of just uh, kind of belief around this, this time and this moment and what that really looked like, we don't know. Uh, one thing I want to make clear is Scripture doesn't actually have this idea that heaven is way up there above us, above the clouds. So this was imagery that was somehow represented to them that Jesus being taken up as a way of saying he's no longer in this earthly domain. And, and the way they viewed it is he was going up, but that doesn't, that's where we get our modern imagery of heaven being on the clouds somewhere up there and everyone who died is floating around in white robes and harps, right? Some of that comes from this idea Because then we have these two angels, which Luke often has, or multiple times, has these appearances of angels. It's kind of a theme that he uses and and speaks to them. And these angels look at the disciples, because now Jesus had been with them now for six weeks after his resurrection. He gave them their mission. But I want you to catch what goes on here. And then he ascends. He disappears from their sight. And they (laughs) said, Luke writes, they stood staring intently at the sky. What were they doing? Now, you might be saying they're trying to see where he's going, right? Of course. But I get this picture of them just going. Is he coming back? (laughs) Is he really, is this it? Could you imagine them starting to look at each other like, is that it? This is how it ends? What now? And so God in his great grace towards his disciples has an appearance of angels who say, hey guys, why are you staring up into the heavens? To which I I picture kind of one of those, I don't know, like a Monte Python type conversation with them. Like, we're looking for Jesus. I don't know, he went up. I didn't give you the British accent. I, was, I almost did, but I didn't. <laughs> and the angels look at him and say, why do you stare? Why are you looking up there? What did he just tell you? Because they just asked, Lord, is it now that you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Is it now that all of this is going to change and end? Is, is the time now? And he just said, you won't know. But here's your call. Here's your mission. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit to empower you. So go. You now have your mission. Go. And he disappears. And they're staring up there like, do you think it's now? Do you think it's now? And the angels say, you guys are not that quick, are you? Go. He gave you your call. You have your mission. And don't worry. He's going to send the Holy Spirit. You're not going to have to do this alone. I think it's a propensity of many of our hearts to try to do things on our own. And how many of us woke up this morning and said, I am so grateful that I have the Holy Spirit of God living in me. 
that the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is alive in me. How many of us, don't raise your hand, but how many of you started off your day being reminded of that truth? Because that's actually what's true of you if you are a follower of Jesus. What is true of you is the Holy Spirit of God is in you, empowering you, encouraging you, leading you, guiding you. How many of us live that way? How many of us live with that truth? I know there's most of the time, oftentimes, God has to hit me on the head to remind me of that truth. Because I like to start off the day in my great wisdom and knowledge. My great ability to problem solve and have the strength to get through. It's as if I'm staring into the sky saying, okay, now what? I guess it's just me. I guess I'm on my own. And it's as if the angels are saying, no, quit staring up. God's promising you the Holy Spirit. Carl Barth once said it this way. He said, when we are at our wit's end for an answer, the Holy Spirit can give us the answer. But how can the Holy Spirit supply the answer when we're already so well supplied of answers on our own? Hmm. Are we making room for the Spirit? So the book of Acts is going to remind us the mission is great, but it's not on you. And quit staring up at the sky. Quit saying, okay, Lord, does this, and, and maybe you've, I've said this during the last few months, like, Lord, how about this year be the year you come back? Anyone with me on that one? <laughs> this is a great year, 2020, round number, why not? Let's do it. And as if God's saying, quit staring at the sky. You know what I'm calling you to do, and you know I'm empowering you to do it. As we end, I want to remind you of this verse. Jesus was speaking to his disciples in Luke chapter 11. He was talking about prayer. And he said this, If you, then, though you are evil, which is always a great way for Jesus to start in a conversation with us, isn't it? (laughs) Though your hearts are not always right, is what he would say. Even if you, you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask? If you, as an imperfect person here on earth, know how to give good gifts to your children or to the ones you love, those of you who are good at that, of course we love to give gifts to the people we love. If we can do that, Jesus said, how much more would the Father in heaven, who's so much better than all of us, who knows what we need way more than we do, how much more will he give you the Holy Spirit if you just ask? And we find that part of being alive in Christ means he's given us that gift of the Holy Spirit. The ask, we don't have to say, Lord, okay, give me the Spirit now. As soon as you say, Lord, become the Lord of my life, forgive me of my sins, empower me and lead me, he gives you the gift of the Holy Spirit. We don't have to wait around for it now. It's been given to us. So you, as Christians, have the Holy Spirit. You have the gift. You have that encouragement and comfort when you need it. You have that wisdom when you need it. Someone to see. You have the ability to step out in faith knowing that you're not doing it on your own. Sometimes we just need to recognize we're holding that gift. We're going to see that as a major theme of the book of Acts. As we end our time here, I'm going to, this is kind of the intro day, so we have a lot we're going to be getting into week after week. 
I'm going to invite the worship team to make their way back up. And as they come up, I just want to encourage you and challenge you with that question. And perhaps if you're following along in your life journal, there's a spot there that says, what is the Holy Spirit saying to me? That's a question I think we should be asking as Christians. And as always, let's check that with Scripture. So we'll talk a little bit about that as it goes. And if the Holy Spirit's you know, asking you to do something that doesn't match up with Scripture, uh, or maybe always run it by other friends, but what is the Holy Spirit speaking to you today? Maybe today for some of you, it's just, hey, I am with you. You're not on your own. Quit staring in the sky. And that same Jesus, that same Holy Spirit, that empowered Jesus that he gave to us, the God in flesh, the Holy Spirit is God in spirit given to you. He doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we actually have the same power the first Christians had. The same spirit that led and empowered Jesus is available to you and to me today. So let's celebrate that truth. Let's remind ourselves that the battle is his, not ours, and he doesn't leave us on our own. Sound good? Amen? There we go. <laughs> Why don't we stand? Let's sing this last song, and then we'll close out with a prayer after this song.